0: Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Josh, how are you today? Well, I'm doing great, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into this uh, podcast episode today. We have with us Cheryl Jones, and Cheryl Jones is a manager of professional education at the Women's Cancer Resource Center in Oakland, California. Um, So that's where she developed, manages, and teaches in their continuing education program. Also, Cheryl is the host of the radio show, Good Grief, uh, a grief counselor and cancer educator. During her education as a marriage and family therapist, her first wife was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which uh, was at the time a uniformly terminal illness with a six-month to one-year prognosis. In the eight plus years that followed, Cheryl engaged daily in uh, the work of preparing for for her death. After her wife's death, Cheryl immersed herself in her own multifaceted grief, surprised by frequent moments of joy. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, y- you've got a a pretty interesting resume. When I'm looking at it, you know, you do a lot of different things. You know, looking back at your journey, what do you, what do you think about?
1: Well, that's an interesting thing to notice. Yes, I do a lot of different things. That, that bio covers a few of them. But uh, from another angle, it's all one thing, which is that during my wife's illness, through her death and through my grief, I came to realize that um, very difficult experiences in our lives uh, do often lead to new places. Uh, of course, it was very painful in many aspects, but also I was utterly changed by it in ways that I value very much. And so everything I do uh, in my work refers to that. The radio show, the teaching, it's all coming from the and, and my counseling work is all coming from the angle that difficulty can go somewhere instead of just being hard.
0: Look at the journey of you've accumulated all these skills and interests.
1: I I guess what I would say is that all the skills and interests actually originate uh, from the same place, which is a belief that, and this came through hard experience, a really deep belief that there's suffering involved in in illness in loss and grief and there's also the possibility of something new coming out of of that experience that is uh very profoundly valuable that that time in my life changed me so much that i come from that place with my my guests on the radio show, with the people I'm teaching, who then will work with people with cancer, with my counseling practice, it all originates from the same place.
0: Mm-hmm. So when your wife passed away, unfortunately, was that kind of the moment when you kind of saw things start to slowly develop? Or was it before that where you saw, okay, I am kind of interested in these things and helping others and, and for and how your opinions formulated around that?
1: diagnosed i was I was studying to be a counselor uh, and that uh, I had been in counseling myself and found it valuable um, I would say that it taught me how to deal with the kinds of issues i had uh and changed me in many ways certainly but Uh, the experience of her illness and death and my grief was more of a sea change. Like I actually felt that my personality changed Mm -hmm. in that process Uh, and that the way I related to the world just deeply changed. Uh, And because I was training as a therapist, while I was going through all that, they became very um, interconnected. Uh, i've always no matter what issue i've been working with with someone, I always see the loss in it and and how that's been affecting the way the person is is um, relating to the world, even if it's not obviously a loss issue, let's say someone comes in to see me with depression there's probably some loss in there somewhere, and if there's no loss that that kind of spurred the depression. There's probably loss related to the depression, um, things that have been lost to the person. So that's kind of the lens through which I look at most human issues, let's say.
0: I'm I'm a little curious as to how, what your sp- perspective or even call it if you will, your direction or even drive was navigating before your wife's loss or before you were going through a lot of the essentially you know recovery and trying to heal and 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 all that the the tough times and then what was how did it change after that
1: I'll I'll give you the am- example I often give people when I was younger I was painfully shy um many people will say that about their childhood I I was really a loner as a kid I maybe I'd have one friend uh, very uncomfortable in social situations. Sometimes I could in my work um, get a little past it, but um, the part of the reason I loved being a counselor was it was just me in a room with one or two people, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that, that person would not be doing the things I'm doing now. I teach, I have a radio program, I'm very social, you know. Uh, So that place in me that withdrew uh, from especially groups and, and, you know, um, big crowds of people, utterly changed, utterly changed. And uh, that was for a few reasons, but I think mostly it was that my – Default position of kind of withdrawing from life a little bit. um, I came to value life a lot more in watching my wife uh, fight for her life. She, her diagnosis was supposed to kill her in six months to a year, and she lived almost nine years past that point. And she was never well. She was ill the whole time. She was so fierce about life, and it rubbed off. And also, you know, a judgment someone might have or some little problem of personality bumping into other personality, that just didn't seem very important anymore. Mm. Uh, So that would be an example, and not to mention she was a very well-loved and social person, and we had uh, a support community of, oh, at the minimum 30 people helping Mm. us. And so having that many people in and out all the time, you know, I just got over it. So that would be one example of what I'm talking about. And and that liberated me. You know, my life is very different because of that one thing, if I just, uh, if I didn't take anything else into account.
0: Was she more of the extroverted? You were saying she had a lot of people around her and she had a, like a, seems like a, a real passion. Was she that extroverted type of person who brought it out of you? Like, did she kind of like, and then would you, like, it seemed like you felt like compelled. You
1: know, I, well, here's the thing. I, um, I knew who she was. I actually had known her since I was 16. Uh, we'd been in and out of, of you know, uh, love relationship, but we'd always been close since that time. Sometimes friends, sometimes seeing each other, dating or whatever. When I committed to her, I remember we were out to dinner with some friends right when we really uh, solidified, which was we were very close friends when she got diagnosed, and we we committed to each other not too long after that. Crazy for an abandonment phobic person to commit to a dying woman, but (laughs) that's what I did. And um, we were sitting at dinner there were maybe 10 people there we were out at a restaurant I was retreating in the corner as usual she was just talking her little well she was a large person her large head off <laughs> and I had I had the, the thought I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to keep her to myself basically I am going to have to open up my heart to a lot of people to do this And that resulted in, that was just an insight, but it resulted in a decision to get on board. Because I realized that um, she wouldn't go through it well unless she had her people. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to love her through it, I had to change. And I think I had some preparation for change, for the process of change. Um, So I don't mean to imply that would be easy for someone who wasn't used to kind of being in change environments. And it wasn't easy for me. But, um, in fact, the first couple of years were extremely difficult, lots of anxiety, lots of fear, lots of difficult emotion. But a couple of years into it, I just settled in to, okay, these are the terms we live under that, you know, she could die. Um, we, uh, I could die, too, because once you're aware of death in general, you're certainly aware that that's a possibility for anyone. Uh, we had lots of friends die bef- before she did who were perfectly well when she was diagnosed. So we kind of accepted life on life's terms, which meant life became much more full and lively. Um, that took a lot of work. I don't want to shorthand it, but you don't have, you know, several weeks to listen to all of that. But just suffice it to say that once we faced up to what was happening and, and how we felt about that, we, it was there was a lot of freedom involved in uh, going going forward from there.
2: Wow. And so I think it's interesting about, you know, you having to open yourself up and be something new. Are you surprised now with where you are?
1: Every day. (laughs) (laughs) But not as surprised as I would have been if someone told me right when she was diagnosed that I would be this person now. I would have been very, very, I might have been disbelieving. But I think I think it's not shocking to me that I ended up here because when people grieve fully, and, and what I mean by that is when you allow yourself to feel how you feel when you feel it, however people find to do that and walk themselves through it, in general, and this is, of course, the heart of my radio show, Uh, There is a natural impulse to give back that comes out of that. Um, How people do it varies widely, but there is a friend of mine who I've also interviewed uh, says generosity is a natural impulse once you've integrated a loss into your being. There's an impulse outward. So in that way, completely unsurprising. But would I ever have seen myself as a radio host? No. <laughs> that, that was a surprise.
2: So what actually got you started with the hosting? Was it only after uh, your wife passed away or was it before? Oh,
1: much after. Um, when, once once she died, um, I, I kept my, my lifestyle pretty open, um, not too demanding. For quite a while, I, le- I, I left a lot of room for grief, I'd say. But I had yeah, uh, still young children at that point. So, you know, I parented, I worked in my office, and I did things that supported my grief. It was my main priority. Uh, I sang, I put my hands in dirt, that you know, all things that drew me. Some people write, Some, you know, we all have our own ways. And then I just, I went forward as this new person. Uh, I, I say that advisedly because we can't be totally new, but I would actually run into old friends who didn't recognize me uh, after she died. I mean, I think I came off differently. So I just went forward with my therapy practice and kept raising my kids, but I was doing it differently um, one of my clients, I took a break when she died. When I came back to work, they, they kind of said, uh, wow, you've gotten really kick ass. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just was a lot more, let's get, let's get on with it. You know, did uh, you, hey, um, a lot more.
0: Did you, um, physically change? Like, did you change anything thing about yourself? Like, did you change your hair or, or maybe the way you were dressing? Cause that sounds really interesting to me. Like I, I that sounds like something I would do, <laughs> like a renewing process. Like it's very cathartic, almost. Like you're like, okay, now I'm gonna be this person, and and this is me.
1: Yeah, you know, it was more. I don't know. I can't even answer that question entirely. I think so. Uh, I look at pictures from when she was alive, and my hair was really, really curly, and it, it and afterwards it wasn't. But I didn't consciously go about changing the way I looked. But I think I did, I think something very deep changed in me for sure during that time. So years, 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 then maybe five or six years ago, I started thinking I want to take my work to a broader audience. And uh, it was just, it didn't come from my head down, it came from my gut up, which I find is very familiar with a lot of people I interview. They just suddenly have a thought in their head that is really persistent, that they can't make go away you know, kind of the opposite of an ambitious thought. How do I get my thing to happen, right? It's just this thing comes up and you have to answer it. But I tried all these ways to answer it and nothing was happening. And um, I finally told some friends, I guess I'm just not an ambitious person. I just don't have the drive or something. Not long after that, I got a call out of the blue from a radio producer, He's still my producer, this was about four and a half years ago, asking if I wanted to do a radio show. And I probably would have ignored it, except that I had been having that thought for like two years. So, you know, long story short, I ended up doing a show and he had me write a little two-page proposal for the show, he told me don't take more than a half hour or 45 minutes to do it. And um, the show that I do is the show that came out at that point, including the title. And uh, of the six proposed guests that I put on that original proposal, five of them have been on the show. So it it was rather a magical thing.
0: That sounds so cool. And it sounds kind of like reminds me of how I operate and also kind of like how Joshua operates for sure. I mean, we work together, so hopefully operates like that. But we're not forcing things and we strive to kind of have things happen naturally. Uh, Sometimes there's a cloud and a fog and you kind of have to, you know, in your heart why you do it you know, we know why we do this podcast, we try to, you know, share this information and this knowledge and education, and to just uh, extend the conversation about grief and loss. So we know that and, and we're firm in that. But we're still, we, you know, the way we approach it is we still kind of navigate through the business side of it and the ambitious side of it in a little bit of kind of like, well, we'll see how it kind of figures out and how it plays into what we want. But th- that's, to me that sounds like you do a similar thing or you you you've done in the past a similar thing you have a wish list you have certain things and you try to manifest towards that um so that 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 sounds incredible right. and, and yeah
1: if if it hadn't happened that I'd interviewed you know five out of the six that would have been okay but it was really awesome that I did end up doing that because it was such an a brainstorm right and what he said to me at the time was, I asked him because even though I'm pretty intuitively based, my brain still likes to know stuff. So I, I asked him why half an hour or 45 minutes. And he said because if you spend longer, you're going to start trying to tell, trying to revise the message so you, it's more of what you think I want. So he was really looking for my true.
0: Ah. Uh, so yeah, he wanted a raw. Like yeah, like a raw version. How you feel? Throw it in there. Let's see the magic happen. And do how do you yeah. how do you feel? Cuz like I know when we after we do interviews and stuff like that, you know, it feels great. There's a lot of important messages being come across. Someone sharing their grief story. It, it it can lead to so many amazing things and emotions, not just in the interview, but with the people listening. So, how do you feel after doing, you know, your interviews, or le- even after the first five? How did you feel? Uh,
1: I I uniformly love that hour of the week. For one thing, realizing that I'm part of the community of people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That something can come out of all the pain we have in our lives is deeply, deeply inspiring. That, in fact, you know, when I first started, I can't even remember which friend, but a friend of mine said, God, how will you keep finding guests? And and I didn't think it would be a problem. It is so not a problem. If your eye is open for people who have made something of their loss, uh, it's, it's everywhere. And it's also true that in order to make something of your loss, you have to let it count. You have to, you know, I had made a, an agreement with myself not being able to imagine my wife dying. I just made a, an agreement that anything I wanted in at least the first year after she died that I could bring about, given finances and childcare, I would. That I would give myself everything I needed. And that turned out to be a really, really important and valuable agreement with myself because it allowed me to feel everything I felt and not not short, short circuit anything, but just allow it to affect me. And to me, that's where the evolution comes from.
0: Yeah. And I can see that in, uh, even I'm just like, you know, rehashing your bio, um, Cheryl immersed herself in her own multifaceted grief and surprised by frequent moments of joy. I love that last sentence, surprised by moments of joy. And that seems like what you're describing and, and, I I hope, and I'm sure. Sorry, go ahead.
1: That's right. Well, the thing is, (laughs) I, I don't know how to describe this, but Let's take a moment where I was, you know, sobbing. Um, The body grieves, right? Uh, And I was grieving, and it was painful, but it was also so alive. And because we had kind of lived full out for that whole time, I didn't have any regret. The the only regret I had was that we hadn't committed to each other sooner. That would have been nice. But... (laughs) but i didn't have any regret about the way that we navigated her illness and that was actually a very joyful feeling i i had loved her completely i had given that relationship everything that i had to give and there was a joy in that
2: wow that's it's very interesting and for you you say like you found those moments of joy and but was it difficult you know because we talk i mean people have these terminal illnesses there's this, like, anticipatory grief that occurs. Like, did you go through that at all?
1: Oh, my God. You bet. I I was recently, uh, I was talking with a friend on the phone who's facing a loss, and um, they were feeling kind of crazy because they were imagining life after. And I was telling her that I used to have this persistent um, reckoning in my head of where I was going to put my wife's dresser after she died. And it was like a little obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> where will it go? Will it go in that room or that corner? It, and I, was, I felt crazy, right? Because it felt like, why would I want to think about her dying? You know, what, what? And then I realized that I was trying to imagine that I would actually live through it because i didn't have any way into that i had never experienced a loss that um powerful and there was a way i couldn't in, imagine like just putting one foot in front of the other but i could imagine moving the dresser and once once i realized that it kind of faded out you know because it was really about i i i like to say you you can't be prepared, but you can prepare. So, in a way, my brain was preparing. You can practice. You can't accept, but you can practice accepting. <laughs> you know, we we have ways, if we open ourselves up to it, to believe that we'll have what it takes when the time comes. And... Uh, There are many things that supported that. I I need to mention that we worked a lot with Stephen and Andrea Levine. Um, I always need to mention him because uh, if you know his work, he worked a lot and they worked a lot with illness and death. And he wrote uh, Healing into Life and Death and several other books. They helped a bunch. He said to me at one point, um, I told him I felt I was saving a little some." something of myself for afterwards and he said don't bother you're going to reincarnate anyway <laughs> that was very freeing you know so sometimes the people we're exposed to the teachers we hear if they're the right ones for us can just change the whole landscape that's part of why i do the show too to just have uh, many 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 voices there's Maybe 175 interviews on my website now of people who have something to say about how to approach loss.
2: Wow! Yeah, I can only imagine the people you're helping. Do you ever get feedback from people? Because it's one thing that me and Sean always talk about is you never know who's listening. And so, do you, you ever don't. get the feedback from that, or do you do you care? Like, how does that work for you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: as much feedback as I would like for sure (laughs) and I've thought a lot about it and I think that it has to do I do get some and it's um sometimes it's a it's a guest suggestion sometimes it's a interest in a certain subject that people would like to hear more about you know sometimes it's appreciation for a certain show but I've, I've come to feel that uh some of the magic of radio is that it's private. If I think about what I listen to, you know, on, uh, on an audio-only platform, uh, there's something about listening alone and being able to interact with it inside of your own self. And that's, I think, incredibly good for grievers. Because even though I wasn't shy anymore, in grief I spent a lot of time alone. I needed that that solitary time. And uh, I think that's pretty common. You know, you kind of need a balance of witness and, um, you know, community and time to contemplate time for reflection inside yourself. So I think radio serves that purpose.
0: That's something I I hope for with, you know, with our podcast and, and, you know, even with your radio program and others like yours is I hope that it's something that's changing society, whereas I feel like right now, you know, maybe we don't have as many outlets where we can share our grief. And it's weird. You're navigating, like, cultural norms and stuff like that. Like, uh, there was a a guest on a couple weeks, I think. And the guest was talking about how, you know, her when she returned to work after... Her husband passed away, her boss just kind of looked at sorry, her son, I'm murdering the story. <laughs> I'm doing a <it> very <laughs> injustice. Let me start over. so we had a guest on last week who was talking about her son had passed away, and when she returned to work, her boss just kind of gave her like the the stare like he was so uncomfortable and wasn't really ready mm-hmm. to engage with her so it just kind of tells me I've heard of other stories like that where in society I don't think where, where, where we need to be maybe with sharing grief and having conversations about it. So so I think like something like a podcast or a radio show is great because a person gets to kind of have that moment where they can think about their loved one who's passed without having to kind of now break through or navigate through those norms and stuff. They can have that for themselves. So I think that's a good service that you provide. For as well.
1: sure, for yeah. sure. You know, um, a, a case in point is... Um, when Sheryl Sandberg, who was the operating office, chief operating officer at Facebook, when her husband died, which was all over Facebook and everywhere when it happened, because she was pretty renowned for a book she'd written called Lean In. And so um, when, when that happened, I thought to myself, something is going to come out of this. And I didn't know how long it would be. It's only been two years. And she just came out with a book called Option B, where she talks about resiliency, how to build your own resiliency to deal with loss. And um, it was expected. I expected that that would happen because of who she is. Not so soon, though. That was amazing. And she tells the story that when he died, she got really incredible support from Mark Zuckerberg who's, of course, the head of Facebook, yeah. um, they've now initiated uh, a 20-day bereavement leave at Facebook oh. as a result. And, um, you know, speaking to the point of how workplaces need to change. And I thought, now, why did, why was Mark Zuckerberg able, able to do that? Well, then I realized he, I believe he and his wife had, a number of miscarriages before they had a baby. Um, I think I'm remembering that history right. It has to be something like that, right? Uh, Because the fact is that people who haven't had significant loss sometimes think that it would be terrible to think about these things. But once you've experienced it, you know it's just part of living. Or I shouldn't assume, some people don't come to that conclusion but most of the people I'm interviewing have come to that conclusion that loss is a part of life
0: yeah absolutely that's the message uh that's you know one of the messages we try to do too you know like let's normalize it you know death is going to happen happen to all of us and you know talking about it is is one of the only ways we can really start to understand it more and really connect ourselves better to each each other like a workplace that's great to hear. I'm really happy to hear that. You know, that's something that needs to happen. You know, it's, it's, and it takes, sure. per, it takes and personal stories.
1: Yes, exactly. And when you think about it, that's only a month. Yeah. I mean, a month and that's about how long I, I uh, stayed on leave after my wife died. But I have a very, I had, I was probably working 15 hours a week. I, I it's very hard to picture how people go, go back and produce to any great degree when they're in grief. It's a very scattered state of mind for many.
0: Yeah, many, many people. Absolutely. So Wait, for like, me,
1: that's kind of a kind of a basic minimum. <laughs>
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you put it into perspective, you really shouldn't put a, a a limit on grief anyways. Um but as far as like how far, you know, that's a step towards the right direction is what it is. It's it's
1: Exactly. Least... And they're hoping it'll catch on with uh, other, so, you know, tech companies.
2: Yeah, and and so moving moving on a little bit more to to your loss. Have you started um a new relationship since then?
1: I've been married for almost 20 years.
2: Oh, wow. So was it difficult learning to love someone else while keeping your heart open to your past wife because i can think a lot of people have a difficulty i've heard stories people having difficulty starting a new relationship when their wife or husband passed away because they have so much love still for the the deceased
1: you know one of my friends before i met my wife uh, my my second wife said you know you're gonna have to break up with uh joanne if you want to love again and that was just sort of antithetical, and I, I didn't have to do that. I had to change the nature of the relationship. But that by the time I, she'd been dead about a year and a half when I met, when I met Deb, and the nature of that relationship had become very, very different. And I, I you know, the words are a little hard to come by, but I guess a little bit more of a spiritual relationship, certainly not a physical relationship and she had given me a lot of permission in fact she had kind of admonished me to love again you know like don't waste don't waste the lesson was the way she said it to me so i think that helped a tremendous amount because a lot of people struggle with guilt they feel like they're betraying the person but i always felt like i was honoring her so that was not the difficult part the difficult part was the period of time where I was I was imagining I was imagining Deb dead. Like she would sleep, and uh, I'd happen to be awake, and I'd look over and just kind of imagine her dead. Um, my brain was trying to absorb the the risk I was taking um, because yes. I now knew the knew the risk.
2: So was Debbie your first wife?
1: No, Deb was my second okay. wife.
2: Okay. 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 My
1: first wife was Joanne. So when I loved again, I knew the risk I was taking. I get it. And and that uh, affected me for a while, for sure. It it didn't make me not want to do it, but it was it was weighty.
0: Yeah, you know. it wasn't it wasn't any easier the thought, right? Like the especially if you you've gone through it and now to meet someone new and to yes. start a new relationship and to have all these um, you know, new things and, and adjustments and and great, you know, love enter into something and then now you have a thought come in like, well, this will fade. This will pass as well. And that's that's a tough that's a tough thing.
1: But I have to say that the biggest fear the, the fear bigger than loss was missing it, was holding back and not having the life I could have. Uh, Because to me, the terms were always, you know, when you love someone, one of you is going to die unless you're both in a car accident at the same time. You know, one of you will grieve the other one. And what I found for me was much harder to accept was regret over not leaving my heart
0: open. I'm glad you you through the course of and it's it, it's what makes you, right? Like you know, it didn't it that didn't happen over a short period of time. That helped that happened over over the course of your life where you've kind of gained that insight and obviously meeting Joanne, your first wife and having that experience and opening up your heart, having her obviously convey a message to you that she's not, you know, she wouldn't feel bad or or is encouraging you to kind of seek love again that's a big thing. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are afraid to do that. We're afraid to kind of meet someone else or, or to have another relationship. So I think that's a, that's a very important message and takeaway.
1: Sure. And I, you know, I don't want to imply that's right for everybody. Uh, we're so individual. Like when my dad died, my mom Wasn't completely closed to the idea of loving again, but she would just meet. my dad was a pretty special guy and she'd meet some other man who caught her eye a little bit, but then she'd talk to them for five minutes and say, eh, not interested. You know, she just never really, it wasn't a priority, if that makes sense. And whether if she had lived longer, that might've changed. I don't know, but you know, my dad was sort of her person, and that was that. I just am a person who can have more than one person, apparently. But, you know, it's, it's you know, you have to follow your own bread breadcrumbs, I guess.
2: Yeah, no, that's very true, and everyone has their own journey to go on. But it's about keeping your heart open, and whatever that means. Sometimes people will keep their heart open, and they won't find anyone new. They have no desire. Other people will do, and they, when you start their relationship, keeping your heart open for the new person um is very you know essential for that relationship to succeed so moving moving you forward
1: know that, uh, let me say one more yeah. word about that though the person that uh it took someone it takes someone special because they have to accept there's someone else in the mix because as i said you haven't really broken up with <laughs> you know that this this other person is still I'm still connected to Joanne. If I'm in trouble at work, I don't know what to do next. I actually called call out to her in my head, you know, and um, whatever you believe about that, whether she actually exists or just I know what she would say, um, that's a connection I have. So that's another factor. I think it's a pretty good test, though, of the new person.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Um, you know their maturity I guess.
2: <laughs> All right so uh, we're just uh, uh, for time let's move now to dreams. So have you ever had a dream of Joanne since she's passed?
1: Much more when she first died. I had a, a really a, a profound series of dreams about her after she died. I should say that I was sort of in euphoria right after she died for about six weeks. Uh, I just didn't feel the absence of her. I just felt her everywhere. And um, my body was going through grief, but I was feeling elevated, I guess I would say. About six weeks in, um, I had a dream where, uh, I can't remember which dream was first. There were two that come to mind. One was a dream where she was speaking another language, living in another country, Uh, you know, she was just, Really not accessible to me. And I woke up in, I was bereft when I woke up. And the other one was, I dreamed that she was a gay man. And (laughs) I couldn't figure that out for the longest time. And then I realized that a, a gay man would be the person I'd be least likely to become romantically involved with. She had turned into someone I couldn't be involved with that way. That was also very, very painful. And then I had a series of dreams when I met Deb um, where she would come back and uh, there would be all this shock. And, you know, at first it was just I was so happy to see her, and then I'd go, oops, what now, you know? And as the dream, as the series uh, uh, unfolded, um, I would see her and, and just feel panic. And then I would see her and I'd say, you know, there's something we really need to talk through. And then it, it unfolded for several months. And finally I had a dream where she showed up and I said, you know, in this life I'm committed to Deb. We can't, we can't do this anymore. And that was the last dream I had. And that didn't mean we couldn't relate, but she couldn't come back as my earthly partner and you know I don't I don't remember my dreams consistently but I have these periods in my my life where I have very intense uh, dream series and they do have a beginning middle and end so it was like that I've had a few dreams here and there where she just comes back to visit and that's very pleasant but uh, never again that sense of working something out with her since you're interested in dreams, you might be interested in uh, a few dreams um, that my daughter had when my wife died. Oh, yes. Would that be interesting?
2: Yeah, that would um, be very interesting. <laughs> so,
1: so my daughter was two and a half when she died, which, due the math, we actually adopted her when Joanne was ill. Um, that's a whole other story, but uh, she was a very uh, dynamic little individual, that two-and-a-half-year-old. And the night that Joanne died, she had what I consider a sort of waking dream. Uh, the moment that Joanne died, she looked up at the ceiling and she said, Mommy, look at the birds, the ceilings covered with birds, which I later um, interpreted to mean that she was seeing some form of angel. Uh, presences or whatever then the night after we had a long wake and after, after that was over we all I had a teenage daughter at the time and the three of us shared the bed together I was in the middle and the two and a half year old fell out of bed she never fell out of bed so that was very odd and I woke up and I picked her up and I said what happened she said she called uh, my wife, Jaijo. She said, Jaijo was up at the top of a very long ladder. And I was trying to climb up to get up there with her. And she said, no, no, baby, go down. It's not time yet. Wow. And at the end of that dream, she'd fallen out of the bed.
0: Jeez. That's incredible. So, it's incredible to me because, dreams. yeah, like as a parent, you guys are like, I'm not a parent. So I'm just observing but it seems like parents are very in tune with their kids. And so you guys notice any differences and things like that. And especially during this time when you're grieving the loss of your wife, it's interesting to see you notice that of your daughter and your daughter describe those things.
1: And I think that some people think that children under about three are much more in tune with kind of what's beyond our observation. And yeah, so I kind of, I, I kind of, um, connected, I don't know what it means, you know, but I know it was very powerful and I know that it, there was, it was very real to us, uh, what she was experiencing.
2: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's the first time we've heard a, a child's dream, I believe on here, even though they do dream, um, the research sort of shows that, but you have to find those children. And so it's nice that you showcase that. So if there's any other parents out there, it's good to ask the kids, have they dreamt of their loved one yet? I
1: can't remember. Yeah, I I can't remember which culture it is, but there's a culture, I believe it's in Africa, where every morning the parent asks the child what they dreamed. And if they don't remember, or they they, um, didn't finish the dream, they're instructed to go back to sleep.
2: Oh, I like this culture. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that that particular culture thinks dreams are just essential to living. Hmm. Um, that you just don't start your day without remembering what you've experienced during the night. And of course, you know, there's the dream time idea, which I think is Australian, uh, the Aboriginal people there, I believe, uh call their spiritual quest dream time. You know, there's I'm not I'm not an expert in all that, but I um I think it's really fascinating.
2: And so moving forward, just uh wrapping the show up, what dream would you want to have if you could tonight of Joanne?
1: You know, I'm in a gospel choir and and there's uh a beautiful spiritual that we sing and, um, it's, it's, it's called, uh, Lord, hear my prayer. And the last line is, um, just to just basically just to see you and to hear you say, well done. It's, it's between, uh, an earthly person and and God, you know, as it were, but I think I'd want just to see the way that she used to smile at me in a way that said, you're okay, don't worry. Everything's all right. That would be a pleasure.
0: Yeah, That's a comforting image. And, you know, I hope you have that. I hope you have that for sure. Um, it's just hearing about your loss and hearing about your relationship with uh, Joanne. It just sounds... Sounds like you obviously you've you've journeyed through it. You know you've learned so much from it, and you know like you said, there are moments of joy now that you can kind of get out of that and extract. And that sounds lovely, actually. The, like that hearing that like, gospel choir and and having that inspiration from that to kind of have your own little uh, dream that hopefully you can manifest tonight with uh, Joanne, your own moment.
1: Yeah, I think that the final thing I would say is when I started the radio show, which was maybe. 16, 17 years after she died, I realized after just a few weeks that mostly what I was experiencing around her was gratitude. Mm. And so that that exists as a potential that we just feel grateful we were able to have a piece of life with someone.
0: Yeah, it's just, and it seems like that those are the important things about life, is is length you know long time short time i don't know if that's relevant but the moments you've you've shared with someone and and the love that you guys share together and how open uh the hearts are i think that's that's the key right there
1: for me it is i agree completely
0: well cheryl it's been a real pleasure um is can you um give us your handles where people can listen to your show and maybe uh drop you a line if they want to
1: absolutely um so I'll give you my website first because there's a contact page on there. It's weatheringgrief.com, which is W-E-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G, weathering like weathering a storm, grief, G-R-I-E-F, and that's all lowercase, runtogether.com. And then to find the show, the easiest way is just to put in your search bar Good Grief, comma, Voice America. And Voice America is one word, also run together. And uh, I will pop right up, Cheryl Jones. So that's the easiest way to to find me. But people can also find the show on my website. There's a page that, that, um, that leads to it.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I think that's fairly easy for people to do. Just go into your search engine, go into Google, um, and type in Good Grief, uh, Voice America. And they can find you and listen to your program. And, and you're doing amazing work. And we're just happy to have you on and to share this experience with. Because you're like another member of our community who's doing kind of the same thing that we're trying to do. And, you know, the more voices, the better, right?
1: And good luck with what you're doing, too.
0: I would appreciate I, it. I
1: agree. More voices, the better.
0: Absolutely. We all have
1: our own ways. And that's, that's fantastic.
0: Thank you so much. Um, so please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you do have Facebook, you can join the F- Grief Dreams Facebook group. Um, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at griefdreams. And you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, and many other podcasting platforms. And if you're interested in being a guest on our po- a podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. So with love and gratitude from us to you.
1: of